Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where we delve into folklore, mythology, religion, and all things just a bit weird, esoteric, and occult. This episode, we're going to continue with our devilish theme, and well, sloth, doing nothing, physical and spiritual abandonment, the sin, squandering your life away, wasting it, not even trying, and as the saying goes, idle hands are the devil's plaything. This devil just so happens to have a name. So who or what is Belphegor? Last month I read the tale of Belphegor as told by Machiavelli, where he gets married and has a bit of a bad time of it. But, so who is Belphegor and where did he come from? Buckle up and we'll take a quick look at this ancient demon who has ties to ancient Semites, Israel, sex, laziness, shape-shifting, inventing, pooping, and the French. That's a whole bucket of things right there. So let's start at the beginning. What are the beginnings of this creature we now call Belphegor? Uh, where does he appear in religion and history? Belphegor appears to be wholly connected with, um, at least nowadays, um, Judeo, Ju- Judo-Christian beliefs. Um, but he may have come from a pagan god of the Moabites, though this is not clear. The Moabites are an ancient Semitic people from near the Dead Sea who may have worshipped an entity known as Baal Peor. This translates as the Lord of Peor, with Baal meaning Lord and Peor having a few translations. The most literal meaning, I think, is gap in Hebrew or opening. So you'll often see um, him referred to as Lord of the Gap. Now, where it gets confusing as to whether it's an entity or not is there's also a mountain in the kingdom of Moab um, called Peor. This is the mountain where Balak, the king of the Moabs, tried to get Balaam to curse the Israelites. Um, You'll find a lot of this information in Numbers 25 in the Old Testament um, and the Hebrew Bible. The Moab kingdom at the time was, is, or was situated in what is now southern Jordan on the opposite shore of the Dead Sea to the kingdom of Judah uh, and just south of the kingdom of the Israelites. So most of our knowledge of the Lord of Peor uh, comes from the Old Testament, as I say, specifically 20, Numbers 25. We do find references in Deuteronomy where it describes Baal Peor as either a being or a place. So whether it is a mountain or a deity, it's kind of unclear. But he also appears in Psalms 106, line 28. And depending on which translation you read, it can kind of have different meanings, I suppose. So in the New International Version, we get, They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. In the New King James Version, it reads, They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. So we've we've exchanged yoked for joined and lifeless gods for the dead. So the two different readings can mean very different things. What are the lifeless gods? Who are the lifeless gods? Are they ancestors? Is this an ancestral worship cult that we're talking about here? Or are they just actual gods who no longer exist? Hmm. 
interesting. There is a connection um, to Baal as well. He appears all over the place in um, the Old Testament uh, over 20 times. Uh, there was loads of different versions of Baal. He's quite prevalent, obviously, in the Sol- Solomonic ideas and demonology as well. Uh, but we're not going to look into who or what Baal is or was, as that is a lot of detail. Because, well, it's a title, and in Solomonic ideas, it is actually a demon. And it can also connect to Beelzebub, uh, who we will look into one day. Uh, maybe. I hope. Um, the worship of Baal in Semitic religions has, uh, Semitic religions of the time, so from the Semitic people um, of that region uh, tends to have a connection to sensual or sexual indulgence. And this is definitely the case with Baal Peor. Specifically, he ruled over fertility and sexual power. And in Numbers 25, we see the story um, of Baal Peor where Balak and Balaam and how the Moabite women entice the Israelites into sexual relations and the worship of Baal Peor. So this worship uh, may have involved exposing the part of the body which all people try to keep hidden. So this is generally seen as worshipping a phallus, so a penis, uh, and maybe getting naked a bit. This obviously uh, causes the one god in the story, so in Numbers 25, this causes the one god to become angry. And he casts a plague upon the Moabs and the Israelites who go off uh, and uh, worship Baal Peor here. And it's something like 24,000 people die as a result. The story is long and complex, uh, and it begins with attempts at cursing the Israelites as they try to cross the land. Uh, I think the story is set around the time of Moses as they are leaving and heading towards the Promised Land. They're crossing over the the Moab's kingdom. And so... uh, Balaam, uh, Balak and Balaam try to curse them and they fail and then they try again and, and and in the end there's some form of success. But yeah, go read Numbers 25 if you want to know more about that. So here we have a Old Testament pagan deity, possibly called the Baal of Peor or Baal Peor. It is possible that through language developing over time and appropriation and all that kind of stuff, Baal Peor becomes bastardized into Baal Fegor, or Bel Fegor. So that is a possibility. There is no real evidence that that is true, but it is what a lot of people believe. So that is possibly the beginning of this creature, or this demon known as Bel Fegor. So what about the stories of how Bel Fegor became a demon? This is a much more modern story than the biblical ones. We only really start to see Belphegor appear in texts and interesting places where we can study him quite late. Much of the stories of what I'm going to read comes from things like Milton's Paradise Lost or the Divine Comedy and other such texts from the time. So bear that in mind. They are more mod- the, These are not the most modern ones and we'll come to more modern ideas in a minute, but yes. So, he was originally known as Belphegel, the youngest of the principalities, or the first angels. 
So it's believed that whilst in heaven, Belfagel was lazy and did not enjoy his position. He liked to indulge in idleness, but also liked to craft strange and unusual artefacts. But due to his slothfulness, when Lucifer rebelled, Belfagel took no side. He was content to sit by and do nothing. As a result of this, when Lucifer lost, he was cast out of heaven and recreated as a demon in hell. Whilst in hell, though he was not part of the original rebels, he did rise quickly in ranks. And this was mainly due to helping Beelzebub and others find Lucifer's cage to free him. Once freed, Lucifer took control of hell and built Pandemonium, the capital of hell. And due to his love of making machines and little trinkets, Belfagor helped to build the interior of Pandemonium. And because of this help, he was appointed one of the seven princes of hell. Sidetrack. The seven princes of hell are assigned to each of the seven sins um, in Christian occult demonology. The list varies, though, depending on where you look at it. And there are two major kind of sources that we take for these. The first is produced around 1409-1410, is known as the Lantern of Light which is an old English tract, uh, which is anonymous. It was written anonymously, but people often attribute it to someone known as John Wycliffe, who was a rather disdainful Catholic priest. And the other is from 1589 by Peter Binsfield, a German bishop, theologian, and witch hunter. So in the Lantern of Light, we have Lucifer, who is the sin of pride, Belzebub, the sin of envy, Satan, was the sin of wrath, Abaddon, who's the sin of sloth, Mammon, who's the sin of greed, Belphegor, who's the sin of gluttony, and Asmodeus, who's the sin of lust. In Binsfield's classification, so the, the, the later one, we have at number one, Lucifer is the sin of pride, Mammon is the sin of greed, Asmodeus is the sin of lust, Leviathan, the sin of envy. Belzebub, the sin of gluttony, Satan, the sin of wrath, and Belphegor, the sin of sloth. It is more common that people use Binfield's classification, as it's slightly newer, and so, yes, we get Belphegor with the sin of sloth rather than Belzebub. Um, also, we're not going to get into the difference between Satan and Lucifer here. Uh, some people think that they are the same, one and the same, and some people don't. But in these classifications, Lucifer and Satan are different. But yeah, the whole classification of demons anyway is a mess. <laughs> and it kind of depends on who and what you read and what you really want to delve into. And these seven are not connected to what most people think of when we think of classification of demons, which is the 72 demons of the Lesser Key of Solomon. Uh, there's nothing that connects these to that. In the Key of Solomon... Not the lesser key, but the key of Solomon. Belphegor is described as a now-destroyed Assyrian idol. So it doesn't exist in uh, Solomonic magic, so to speak. So anyway, uh, Belphegor is now a prince of hell. This was not taken kindly by the other demons, as he was seen as a bit of a lazy sod. He, is the, he, he was a lazy slod, sod in, in heaven, and so yeah, he's a lazy sod in hell. Lucifer, however, saw much power and malevolence within Belphegor and argued strongly for his support and his inclusion in this. And so, as a lazy git, he became the Prince of Sloth. 
and became associated with the, the sin of sloth. So there we have it. Uh, Belfogor started off as a lazy angel and became a lazy prince of hell. Uh, in Kabbalistic texts, so he does appear in some religious texts as Belfogor. He's known as the Disputer and is seen as the enemy or antagonist of the sixth Sephirot. And these are the emanations which the infinite makes itself through which the infinite makes itself known. And the sixth is known as Tifere, and it is often associated with spirituality, balance, integration, beauty, miracles, and compassion. So Belphegor is the opposite of these. He is. So in the mythology of Bef- uh, of Belphegor, we also start to see the stories like the one that I read a couple of weeks ago that tell of Belphegor traveling the world on Lucifer's or Satan's behest. And he's usually often sent out to learn about love and marriage. And well, as we heard in the story from Machiavelli, he did not find love or marriage. And he didn't really enjoy it. And actually, one way to get rid of Belphegor was to uh, say, your wife's on the way. Um... It's kind of funny because in the Divine Comedy, um, Belphegor is actually married. So he doesn't need to travel to Earth to discover what being married is like. He's actually married. He is married to Lilith's youngest sister, Aesheth. And here he rules over the circle of hell devoted to sloth. Um, Which, surprisingly, he actually has no interest in ruling. Uh, Sloth, laziness, idleness, doesn't want to rule. Makes sense. And he leaves the rule of this circle of hell to Hecate. There are other tales, other tales and other stories and other tracks, I suppose, and other bits that connect him to France. Um, He is seen as the ambassador of France, uh, or hell's ambassador to France, in opposition to Mary Magdalene, who is uh, the patron of France. So we find a lot of this information in what is known as the Dictionnaire Infernal, or the Infernal Dictionary. This was written originally in 1818 by the French occultist Jacques-Auguste Simon Collin de Plancy. And the original version goes, Belphegor, demon of discoveries, he seduces men by taking, in their eyes, the form of a woman and by offering them riches. So that's the original version. Uh, it's only a few. It's only about a line long, a couple of sentences at that. But there is a more well-known version, and this is from the 1863 edition, and it is extended. And within this edition is where we get the famous picture of Belphegor, where he sat on a shitter, holding his tail and looking a little bit bored, if not constipated. Uh, go check out my YouTube video where I read the story. Um, the YouTube card is that image, and it reads. Belphegor, demon of discoveries and ingenious inventions. He often takes the body of a young girl. He gives wealth. The Moabites, who called him Balfegor, worshipped him on Mount Fegor. Mount Peor. Some rabbis say that one renders homage to him on a toilet, and that one offers him the ignoble residues of one's digestion. It was worthy of him. It is for this reason that some of the learned see Belphegor only the god pet, art, or crepitus. Otherwise, one, otherwise, ones maintain that he is priapus seldom, 
cited by Banir, maintains that one offers him human victims, of whom his priests eat the flesh. Varus remarks that this is a demon who always has an open mouth, observing that it belongs without a doubt to the name of Fegor, which signifies, according to Le Loya, crevice or split, because he was sometimes worshipped in caves, and that one threw to him offerings through an air hole. Um, and it's just from these descriptions that we kind of get our modern image of Belphegor. So the Infernal Dictionary goes in goes on and describes a lot of the, the, the well-known demons and is where we see a lot of the, the modern depictions. After Belphegor in the dictionary is Baal and we see the bee and we see connections to that with the bee. Um, so we do extract it from there. It's also mentioned... Um, as I say, that he's the ambassador to France and the great French writer Victor Hugo. Uh, he reinforces this in his story Toilers of the Sea. And before this, um, we mostly see stories that are similar to Machiavelli's, which is not actually the original version. It's the second version of that tale that we are aware we are aware of. The first was written by another Italian author by the name of Giovanni Breville in. 1545, and this is four years before Machiavelli's version. From here, we start to see him appear more and more often in literature and plays. In England, he appears in Grimm, the Collier of Croydon, and uh, I'm not sure if that's a comment about the grimness of Croydon or not, but still. Uh, that's from 1599. Uh, maybe we don't know who that's written by. Um, he also appears in The Devil is an Ass by Ben Johnson in 1616. There's many other stories from across the world, across Europe. He appears in Germany and, and things as well. Though he is the Prince of Sloth, Belfcore is also a seducer. As we heard in the Infernal Dictionary, he uses women and he often takes the body of a young girl. He is a seducer. He uses women to tempt men and engage in carnal desires. Sometimes he comes to Earth and disguises himself as a woman, and this has led some to believe that he has shape-shifting abilities, as we say, as we heard in the Infernal Dictionary. Though to me this screams more of the sin of lust than sloth, he's still strongly associated with women's naked flesh, tempting and manipulating men. Maybe this makes the men content and satisfied and lazy, so they are unable to do anything else. Belfagor also makes promises to those who want to find wealth, especially those who want wealth at the expense of doing nothing, a promise of a comfortable and easy life. These are empty promises, however, to entice the person to laziness, lulling them into a state of daydreaming or procrastination. So he must be well entertained by his academics, as we spend most of our time procrastinating. I've procrastinated over this episode for far too long. I've known this for a while, and I've just not written or done anything about it, so I think maybe Belphegor was influencing me in writing about him. The idea is to trick humanity into wasting their lives, waiting for the goods to come to them rather than go out and better themselves, harming ourselves through neglect and inaction, leading us to apathy and stagnation. So there we go. Uh, this is just a very quick look at Belphegor. Um, a demon who doesn't like marriage, but is also married. Uh, and is a demon of sloth, but also likes to make you sin through sex. Bit of a dichotomy, really. So yeah, it's a short episode. Um, 
as I say, it, it's taken me a while to write this as the last few weeks have been a little bit mental. Just as always, like my life. You all know this. Uh, so things, though, should hopefully settle down now a bit. I am finally in my own place. I have I have an apartment. I am not living in Airbnbs. Um, so I should be here for at least a year. No more moving. Yay! Next episode is going to be a ghost story or maybe another devilish tale. And I'm likely to stream it. It is getting close to Christmas. It is the season. It is December. Even though in Mexico it's really warm and doesn't feel like winter. Um, so I, I might stream it and then upload it. So, uh, yeah. It will either be a devilish tale or a ghost story. Uh, and then in the new year I shall likely continue with this devilish delve until something new uh, grabs my interest. But yeah, so... Uh, thank you very much. You can obviously go to the show notes and find the places to find me. I'm on some social medias. As you know, I don't really act there. And I've got an email address you can send me ideas to. Um, playing Solemn Vale over on my Twitch stream with Mark, Tom and Tracy. We started that again. Uh, there's been lots of arguments about bacon. Uh, because that is the true horror in life. What is bacon? Um, and so, yeah, go watch that out if you want to. And so, yeah, all that is left for me to say is goodbye, my friends.